You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Rob Russo. I'm Jennifer Samard. I'm Jamie Dumont. And this is The Fabulous Invalid. <laughs> different buzz in the room tonight with a faint clinking of wine glasses it's because tonight we are coming to you from the legendary theater hangout or so on 46th street besides tables of eager pre-theater diners i see a table of actors one famous a foretop of ad execs a legendary director and a publicist at the bar but i'm not going to drop any names yet because I'm very excited, because one of my all-time, all-time favorites, and she literally just walked in the room, Marsha Mason is going to join us for dinner. We are going to order some food. Are you hungry? Sure, I okay. could eat. Yeah. All right, great. So we'll get some... We'll Whatever get some. you want to do. And fun. Jamie, do you want to do Hot Topics with Marsha? Or uh, let's no. do it later. We'll I think, later? Yeah, I think, okay. we can, I think we can do it at the end. Okay. Um, <laughs> but maybe before we get started, we can order a little bit of food, and then we can... Sure. Uh, we can... These are the specials. I think Sean I is going to Sean is going to send us a, a Cristoni and a couple of the the specials. I think the vegetable plate, but we can just Great. sort of pick at. Um, but feel free to order whatever you want. I, Orso has the best pasta in the world. Say, I, I can't I resist the pasta. Is that the bucatini? The house made bucatini with lamb meatballs. Oh wow! Doesn't that sound yeah, good? Yeah, that does sound good. Today, I'm delighted to introduce four-time Academy Award nominee. I'm sorry. Just take that in for a second. Four? <laughs> That'd be four times. Okay. Two-time Golden Globe winner, because she won, thank you very much, director, organic farmer, and race car driver, the one and only Marsha Mason. Woo! Hello. Hello. How are you? Thank you, thank you, thank Welcome. you. Thank you. That's very nice. Thank amazing you. is what it bio. is. Yeah. yeah. We try. You're amazing. Well, you worked very hard. <laughs> well, thank you for coming and joining us at Orso tonight. It's um, it's lovely to have you here. Thank um, you. Before we sort of dig into sort of needier questions, I always love to start by asking, where are you currently drawing inspiration from these days? My inner self. <laughs> <laughs> You said that like it was a new thing. No, no, it's an old <laughs> thing. Uh, that and nature. Mm -hmm. I love nature. 
Mm-hmm. So. Is that what propelled you to, to, to start a farm? Yeah. Yeah. And um, also, I just wanted to sort of throw the pieces of my life up in the air like a kaleidoscope and see what kind of pattern would come down. So I just picked up stakes out of L.A. and um, went to New Mexico and bought some land, had no plans whatsoever to be a farmer. And then 20-some-odd years later, after running a certified organic medicinal herb farm, and being a New Mexico Organic Commodities Commissioner and Chairperson and all kinds of stuff. Um, I sold it in 2014 and came back east and bought some land in Connecticut. And when you had your farm in New Mexico, you were making, uh, I don't know what the word is, remedies or... or yeah. Or, uh, uh, it was a, a line of healthcare products? Basically, yeah. And they started out to be just things that I needed. For example, um, my hands were kind of getting beaten up so because of the harvesting and planting and everything. Uh, so I worked with a master herbalist, and we created a salve, a medicinal salve. And then I went off to London um, and did a play, and I knew I was going to be in a very old theater, the Royal Haymarket, so we made, uh, we started to make some what we call wellness sprays uh, for the throat and for the immune system because um, I knew, you know, going from that kind of climate to London would be problematic possibly and doing eight shows a week and all of that. So, so everything kind of built on whatever it was that I needed. And then um, we formed a kind of uh, signature um, combination, but we had one particular herb called Spilanthes, which we grew, uh, which was uh, in the Americas generally was called a toothache herb. The natives would put the raw flower on the abscesses and stuff, so it turned out it was antibacterial and antiviral. So we basically uh, put that in all of the product. Um, and then I'm because it was a very dry climate, um, I used different delivery systems like uh, shea butter and uh, aloe vera and stuff like that to make a body line of body butter, body lotion, and a body wash. And what happened to the line? Is it still out there? No, I mean, we were very successful uh, regionally, and and, uh, we sold in Colorado, California, New Mexico, mostly in the southwestern part, a little here in New York, not much. Uh, And I couldn't really take it to the next step without a major investor and stuff like that. And I was also by that time thinking about making the move back to New York. So it took me a while to sell the farm, um, but finally I did. And then it was just this year that I closed down the product line. Oh, wow. So it's recent. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that must have been bittersweet. Um, it was okay. Yeah. It was all right. Yeah. yeah. What was the pull back to New York? Well, I started been, out... I Sorry to interrupt. You'd been out of New York a while by that point, correct? Well, I always kept a place here. Oh, you did. But, um, but my, my life sort of took me other places. But I always kept a place here, and I started here. So I really wanted to end here. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what brought you back. So that's what brought me back. <laughs> I always say I'm going to die on the island of Manhattan. There you go. From hell or high water. So... I love that sentiment. Mickey's here with, is that 
Pedro. Am I saying this right? Crostone? That is correct. It's a smoked trout. Smoked trout, jalapeno uh, fennel. With jalapeno fennel, a little radish, and a little coriander. Oh, oh that looks delicious. delicious. Thank you, Orso. Um, I'd like to signal and make a conversational lane change, if I may. Absolutely. Because I'm dying to know, how did you get into race car driving? I'm so impressed. Oh, well, um, I was on a plane uh, going out to L.A. from New York, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and my friend Paul Newman was on the plane as well, and we were chatting. And he was going out to Riverside to do the, one of the last races before they shut down the track. And I told him how much I, I enjoyed racing and everything. So he invited me out for the weekend. And I hung out, and then I wound up for about a year traveling wherever the crew was. Um, and then he told me about these schools, racing schools, so I went to them. And then I bought a little car uh, from a kid in Rialto, and I got my um, driver's license, you know, my uh, sports car. Oh, yeah, you'd have to get a special one, right? You have to get a well, special one. That. They put a big X on the back of your car so that the other people on the track know you're a newbie. That you're a badass. How long do you have the Scarlet X on for? <laughs> I think it's only like two or three races. And as long as you behave yourself and you play by the rules and uh, all of that. Uh, and it was my home track, so I was there every weekend. And and then, uh, the, then the team grew. I, I uh, partnered up with Mike Lewis and he was a championship um, SSCA driver. And so then he was racing uh, Mazda RX-7s. That was the kind of car I liked. I started out with an RX-3. And so he said, you want to do an arrive and drive, which basically means, you know, they prep the car for you. And then if you crash it, you have to pay for it. But um, otherwise, it's taken care of and everything. And then he and I, uh, in one year or so, formed a team. And then we were we traveled mostly in what we call the Southern Pacific Division, as well as the NASPORT series. And so I had about 12 to 14 races a season, um, and then um, and made the Valvoline runoffs. And uh, they usually take the top four drivers in your division, and then you go to the Valvoline runoffs in the Midwest in the winter and stuff. Um, so I did it for about seven years. Did you ever crash? Um, once in a great while, mostly uh, I was, you know, it was other people crashing into me. <laughs> so you're, uh, <laughs> um, a, a through line that I'm picking up on, a common theme, um, is not only your comfort with taking risks. You know, you started by saying that you draw inspiration from your inner self. And and to me, that, that seems like you're very in tune with your own intuition and, and trusting that voice inside of you that says, you know what, now's the time to move to New Mexico or now's the time to tackle a project with acrobats. And uh, if I may, if you may indulge me, <laughs> uh, I think fans of the show A Chorus Line may not know that they have yeah. you to thank <laughs> for another episode of trusting that voice inside of you, that instinct, mm -hmm. uh, during the creation of the show. You could be, in fact, credited with, with saving a chorus line or making it what it is. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind regaling us with, with the story of how you, uh, you helped make history Well, <laughs> with that show. 
when I uh, was doing The Good Doctor, and I met my husband, Neil Simon, and um, we shifted uh, directors uh, before we came into New York, and uh, Michael Bennett w came in to help uh, the show. So when he was working on Chorus Line, he asked Neil and I to come down, and he was in the throes of he and Jim Kirkwood and stuff. So we watched the show, and partly because of my own feelings, but also because in Cinderella Liberty, which was the first sort of picture that I got nominated for, it was very interesting because Mark Rydell uh, adapted it from a book, and the end of the book of the two people that it's really about a love story about this uh, prostitute and her, you know, uh, child and a sailor. And they don't wind up together. And um, so Mark shot the picture uh, basically with that kind of ending. And I watched it and I said, you know, this is just not going to work because people want to they want something to root for. And you, how, why would you root for people and then be disappointed? So when we went and saw Chorus Line, um, he was talking to Neil, and he looked over at me, and he said, what? And I said, <laughs> well, Cassie has to stay in the show. And he said, but that's not uh, reality. And I said, you know, Mark Rydell said the same thing to me, and the picture bombed. So I said, you, you, I, she, I said, people don't come to the theater or a movie necessarily to be disappointed. I said, especially the way the, the, the whole thing is structured, the musical. So I said, she has to stay in the show. So it was Marvin Hamlish who actually said, that's a great idea. <laughs> and, um, and so she stayed in the show. Somebody to dance for, give me somebody to show. Let me wake up in the morning to find I have somewhere exciting to go. To have something that I can believe in, to have someone to be you. Me, choose me. God, I'm a dancer. A dancer dances. So was this while it was still in workshops, or was it already being performed at at, at the Newman? At, at no, the it theater? was at the Newman, mm -hmm. but it was early. In, it was early in mm -hmm. the previews. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And amazing. Our condolences about the passing of Neil. Oh, and I know. It was recent. a great, great, great. Person. He was just terrific. Great. And thank you for sharing this amazing story. Oh, it's truly <laughs> remarkable. It's a nugget that I think most people wouldn't know, That's but right. it changed yeah. the whole trajectory of the show. Yeah, it, it really did. It was great. It was lovely. When we previewed The Goodbye Girl, and it was in the days where you go out of town to sand something or other you know <laughs> out in the boonies and people wrote in cards and all of that 
it was after a period of a lot of dark film and all of a sudden people were saying oh thank god a play you know a movie we can take our family to oh thank god this or oh thank so all of a sudden we were just on the tipping point of uh, a need for the movie going public that helped enormously and i think also it spoke to single mothers and single parenting parenting so so it was that too and then of course it was a wonderful love story and and Richard and I had great chemistry that just translated through the film. And so all of that, you know, conspired, I think. And so the picture holds up pretty much to today, even it does. though it's, you know. It, it does. I actually watched it on Saturday. So remember goodbye. I spent my weekend, I watched uh, Goodbye Girl, I watched Chapter 2, and I watched Only When I Laugh, which oh. is one of my all-time favorite yeah, films. Too. Before I, you arrived here, he, we were going on and on about yeah, it. I, <laughs> it's I, one of mine, too. I, I've discovered I have three copies of it on DVD, which I did not oh, realize. So Apparently, cool. I was really worried at one point that I would lose it. So well, I, it's hard to find sometimes. It, it was hard to find, and I, I have an odd, like, Ukrainian print. Um, oh, that, wow. Yeah, that I think I must have bought at and some it plays on a, It plays on a DVD it, player? It does. They yeah. all three play. I, I okay. tried them. I, I was going to loan you the Ukrainian yeah. print. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the Goodbye Girl means so much to me, and your work was so exquisite. Oh, in thank, that you. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you spent a lot of time in those years uh, playing characters who lived on the Upper West Side. Yes. Uh, who lived <laughs> yeah. in a in a in seventy-five a, layers of paint on the door. Yeah, <laughs> in, a, in a like ten-block radius. Yes. I know, practically. Because I watched them back to back, and I, and I, you know, this is something else. I actually lived for thirteen years in the apartment building next door to where your character lives in Only When I Laugh. Oh, my God, on 78th Street. Uh, um, yeah. No, that's 78th? 78th Street. This is creepy this is that creepy. I know this. <laughs> 78th Street is where Goodbye Girl right. was shot, or the exteriors. Oh, right, right. Only right. When I Left was on 85th Fifth Street. Street yeah. Those three ladies in particular are all really fascinating women. They're really strong. They're really... they're they're. They must have been well. One of them is is loosely based on your relationship and and you, correct? Right, right. Yeah. Chapter two. Yeah, Chapter two. Right. Um, which was a role you didn't play on Broadway. No. But you did play in the film, mm-hmm. and it's a role that you've well, it's a play you've directed now twice. Yeah. Yeah. What What is that experience like? Those three different incarnations: being an audience member, being the actor, and being the director. Um. Well, each one is slightly different in its perspective. Uh, Observing, uh, especially in the audition process, that's very interesting. And and then, uh, by the time I shot the film, I was already married for 
I would say three, almost going on four years. So, so it, I felt like it was just a character that I knew very well. Um, and also because Neil wrote autobiographically about himself and me, so there, there's stuff in there that's literal. Um, and so, so there was that. And then directing it, what I did was, especially uh, because these are two recent productions, one in Arizona and one at Bucks County in uh, New Hope, Pennsylvania, is I, I realized that uh, the, the pace was much slower it, when it was first done. So I condensed it very subtly and incorporated cell phones and things like that so that the scenes would bleed together. Whereas in the days, in the, like in the 70s, they would be blackout and then they would come up or blackout and come up. And then I also tied the apartments together as opposed to keeping them separate by having his wrap around hers and raising hers. So, so I, I, that's what I meant about, you know, uh, you just come up with these ideas um, to, to address whatever, especially pacing and rhythm. And, and also people are, think faster and uh, uh, they relate faster than they did 30 years ago. It's mm -hmm. very That's a fascinating insight. Because mm -hmm. yeah. is that a function of cell phones and information and internet and Twitter and all of those things? Definitely. And Definitely. so you're bringing that into your, your interpretation of chapter two. Yeah. So your, your two productions were not set in the late 70s? No, they, no, I didn't. I made them sort of universal, uh, just as if they were to today. Because the apartments would have been the same, and you know, and whatever there were a couple of references that I just um, I don't remember what it was that I said. I think there was only one or two references that would have dated it, so I didn't change them, I just dropped it. You know what I mean? Whatever yeah. it was. And when you said a moment ago that there were Neil wrote autobiographically. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the I think I'm wonderful speech is actually something that you did say. Is that correct? Yeah, that's pretty much, yes. That was a moment in our personal <laughs> life that he chose to <laughs> to put on the page. <laughs> and how is that the first time you see that or you read that as, 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 as his wife, as, as, a, as a human, you know, as a person? Um, well, uh, the thing that was interesting is I didn't know he had started to write it when he wrote it. So he, one afternoon, came out of his office and gave me, he said, I, I want you to read something and see what you think. And I don't remember exactly what moment it was anymore. It was a, a maybe six, seven pages, I'm not sure. Um, and he, he would do this occasionally, not all the time. Sometimes he would wait and show me something uh, in whole acts, and sometimes not until it was finished. But um, with chapter two, he, I don't remember what the moment was, but I read it, and of course he could sort of really read my face. So <laughs> he said, what, what is it, what is it? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I honestly believe she'd be more angry here. 
um, and he went, oh, okay. And then he would go back into his room, and and then I would not know until it was all printed and we were going into production or something what it was about. So, so we had this unique professional relationship. We loved working together. We had the best time. A lot of times married couples don't work well together, but we did because I think we mutually respected each other's talent and I was a staunch supporter of every word that he wrote, do you know what I mean? As I am with all playwrights. I don't believe in paraphrasing and all of that sort of thing. Um, so, so we had this great professional respect for each other and that, that made all the difference. But I do remember one time he told me in one of the early plays that uh, an actress once said to him, I, I just wouldn't say it that way. And he said, well, you're not the writer. Do you know what I mean? So, so it just depended because, but his was, his was about rhythm. His was about rhythm and he understood rhythm. Now, there are wonderful stories about playwrights who uh, will stick to um, and won't make cuts or trims. Neil was always rewriting. He was always trimming. He was always collaborative with all of his directors, uh, with even the actors. I mean, you know, if, if you did something funny in rehearsal, he would put it in. Um, if it was, if it made him laugh, it went in. You know what I mean? So, so it just depends. But there are wonderful stories about playwrights who, I remember, I heard a story once. Um, uh, an actress was had a monologue that went on for pages, and she just said, "It's too long. It's too long." And of course, it actually was. So the playwright brought it in without any punctuation. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say that's a passive-aggressive way of dealing with it, but um, uh, I think for the most part you you try to meet what the playwright is doing, unless it just isn't there, and then either you don't do the play or you say, I'm sorry, you know, I, I don't get it. Especially with Neil's comedy, it's all about rhythm. The humor... The humor is very rhythmic, and and if that isn't there, then the humor doesn't land, and and then and then the truth that well, the humor is talking about doesn't land. Yeah, humor is really unique, um, and it depends on the individual. I remember, for example, I snuck into the theater um, when they were auditioning Chapter Two. Nobody knew I was there. I was up in the balcony. I had to deliver something, and then I snuck around. And Annie Wedgworth came in, and she was reading uh, for the role of the best friend. And she, Annie was from Texas and had a drawl, and she was kind of floozy and wonderful. And so she got, I know I'm not the right color. And it was sort of written kind of Eve Arden-esque, you know, rat a tat, -tat. But her innate sense of rhythm and timing was flawless. And so she got the role because Neil always recognized that, you know? Yep. 
So it didn't really, it was interesting, it didn't really matter. As long as you could land the material, then it was okay. I will say, the only time I've had an issue with a playwright necessarily is if, if I have a hard time memorizing it as an actress, it's because there's something about the scan that d it's, it's not how people speak. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've had that experience as well as sometimes if I keep going up at the same moment, I either look at the material and say, that's the reason, I don't understand the jump, or <clears throat> I know my thinking is wrong, mm -hmm. that I, I haven't, uh, whatever arc, uh, whatever the emotional travel is, I, 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 yeah, I have to rethink it. When I was at the arena doing Watch on the Rhine, it's Lillian Hellman, so you know you're in good hands. So if I, if I was going up at a certain moment consistently, and what I mean by that is like, say, three times, I'm going up to the same place, then I know that's me. That's not the material. If, on the other hand, the material is such that it's loose or something, then I say, wait a minute, I, I'm going up because I don't understand what the playwright is trying to say. So then the, the, the job is to figure out what the playwright's saying so that you can get it. Or the playwright, hopefully, is there, and you can talk about it so you understand what his idea was, because maybe I'm at cross purposes. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. How different is the experience when you are working on something uh, like you just completed, uh, a Tennessee Williams play that had never been produced and the playwright is dead? How does that change the experience, especially with a text that is not as well-known or, you know, um, <coughs> well, notated? You know, I mean, first of all, uh, Tennessee is revered, so you wouldn't want to mess with it. Right. You have to try and make it work. Also... He wrote the material when he was 27, and he was known as Tom at the University of Iowa. But what was really interesting about the material, it was only about 35 minutes long. It was called Talisman Roses. And there are these... Um, the situation is, he wrote it, right after his sister was uh, put into a sanitarium for schizophrenia. 
What's interesting about it is it's three characters, an aunt and two sisters, an older sister and a young sister. The young sister has just come out of a sanitarium after five years because the aunt has decided she should just be allowed to live at home. The older sister, played by Amanda Plummer, was upset by it because her whole Midwestern, it takes place uh, in St. Louis. And Where you're from. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> so so it, it had a more of a Midwestern feel than, say, a Southern. But there are, are very clear indications of Laura and Blanche and right. Stella in the mix. And what is fascinating is that at 27, his voice was totally clear. Right. Totally clear. People say that about Summer and Smoke, that that play sort of lays the groundwork for Streetcar Named Desire. It's less performed and seen as problematic by some, but you see the emanations of the formulation of these iconic women in his, his I his think, for me, he is one of men, maybe the only, that I can truly think of who understands the complexity of the female gender. I mean, if you look at all the women he wrote, they're so different, they're so complex, they're so nuanced, they're so... Um, they're so complex. I, I don't know how else to say it. And I, I can't think of another playwright who, who embodied that femininity so strongly. So he obviously was writing from himself. I, I wish young and even established playwrights today, I find the material lacking sometimes in complexity. It's awfully literal. It is what it is, which is fine. It's very well played, and it can be very successful. But I miss sometimes the complexity of behavior and character, and also event. What is the event? Why am I here? What is it that I'm supposed to be thinking about? And letting you fill in the gap, letting the audience member fill it in. Or wrestle with the nuance, right? Wrestle with yeah. the nuance and also make me think instead of just kind of watching it and going, okay, I saw that. It's well-produced, well-directed, well-acted, but do, am I going to talk to anybody about it after I leave the theater? Mm -hmm. That's In that sense, I think sometimes television especially, not film so much, but television has... Uh, lost makes makes the playwriting thinner. Mm -hmm. um, A lot of playwrights are now writing for TV. The, the crossover I know. has increased, and I I think that might be a problem. Yeah, <laughs> meaning that it's more lucrative to work and more steady to work in television, so it's an easier kind of gig, and. Therefore, that's we're losing playwrights to television. And our major state, you know, Broadway is not 
the place where big plays are being performed anymore. No. You know? I mean, I mean maybe that'll change. I mean, coming but, from abroad, like right. the ferryman right. or, you know. Right. So a lot of playwrights no. are increasingly working in television. Do you think the television's gotten better because more playwrights are writing for television? Well, I think cable has made a big... Uh, that has saved television for right. me. Well, some argue I we're agree. in a golden age. Well, George Wolfe has a quote that... It's been attributed to him. I'm, I'm sure he said it. Um, that film is about story, TV is about character, and theater is about ideas. I wonder if that is, a, is another way of sort of encapsulating perhaps what we're talking about. Or well, maybe not. Maybe I'll you disagree. You, <laughs> I'll tell you a wonderful thing about Clint Eastwood. I did a picture with him called Heartbreak Ridge, and I had heard that he didn't take a lot of takes, didn't like women to wear makeup, and all of that. So I, sh I, I had an interview with him. I didn't have to read. Um, and then I showed up, you know, for the first day of shooting, and I was playing his ex-wife. And the story is really about this group of Marines that go off to Grenada. But we were standing, waiting for a shot to be set up. And... Um, so I said to him, you know, I said, it's very interesting. I mean, we're taking a lot more takes and everything, and I had heard you kind of like to move on. And he said, well, he said, if the movie is about character, I take as many takes as it needs. If, I, if the movie is about story, then I pretty much know what it is I want to shoot, and I move on. So... I thought, oh, that's really interesting. You know, that is really interesting. Then we came to a moment in the movie where we're on a tiny little um, dance pad, if you will, outside with some Chinese lanterns. He's in full marine dress. Um, and we're going to be dancing uh, to a, a band, a small band. Uh, a soft, you know, slow music, and we have dialogue. So he talks to the cameraman, because he's directing the film also, and so talks to the cameraman who's on a handheld thing, and, and it was his core group. And we begin. And so I notice that as we're dancing and saying our words and stuff, I can feel him kind of maneuvering me, not in a necessarily a dance formation, but I can tell he's moving me. So then they call cut or whatever, and then they're getting ready for another take. So I said to him, well, I, I noticed you were moving me in a, in a thing. He said, yes, I, I was watching how the light, I wanted to make sure how the light was playing across your face. So he was acting, he was directing, he was dancing. And I thought, well, all right, what are you going to do? I mean, come on. I mean, that's just extraordinary. So... He may be this iconic figure, you know, that, but 
his understanding of the material, the moment, the whole picture, everything. He understood very much what it is that he... And he always brought his pictures in on time and under budget, which is why Warners loved him so much, for the most part. You know, I, I was not privy to the books, but that that's what I was told, and I don't think that's apocryphal at all. He was extraordinary that way. Um, so it depends, you know? It depends. For example, I mean, you know, those famous stories of directors Fred Zinnemann taking 28 takes on Jezebel or whatever. And I remember going into the dailies with Herb Ross, and we always picked the same take. And I got used to it. I could look at myself very objectively and say, oh, no, no, that's the best take. And, he, he, and we would just look at each other and he'd say, yeah, that was what he had chosen. So when I went to work with Tony Richardson, Tony Richardson never allowed actors to watch the dailies. And I said, that is such a mistake. I said, I really can. Then we wound up not doing the pictures, so I never got to work with them. But I remembered that Dustin Hoffman said, when he first started working in film, he said, you can learn so much, but some actors can't. They get too freaked out by how they look or whatever. But fortunately, I was always very objective, and I could tell what was my best. I, I, I could tell. You it's, know? That, it's that intuition. I don't know. <laughs> it just is what it is. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Do you watch your old films, or do you watch... Anything? Never. 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 I haven't seen The Goodbye Girl since it came out, I don't oh. think. It's real, real good, just so you know. <laughs> it holds up. It, it, it's it, worth checking out. Yeah. <laughs> You're so real, real good. Oh, I, I love might, that I might stupid. add, and I the movie it. you made with Johnny Depp. Not that I spent all weekend watching your <laughs> film. Jamie, I love you. I, I did. I love your heart, and I love you. And this, every, all our listeners... He's awesome. <laughs> it's a that was, that you was made a very real. good mayor. Yes. Were you mayor or governor? No, you were governor. governor. I was you were the governor. governor. Yeah. I was governor. Yeah. <laughs> Would you ever run for office? No. No, I don't think so. Not at my age. <laughs> no. Not now. Because no. hopefully we'll have some openings up <laughs> yes. real soon. Real soon. Yeah. That You're here. Lovely. On that note, I, we have one final question. Okay. And that is, what was that first show that did it for you, that first show that cinched it, that you saw, that made you want to be in the theater? Well, actually, I was a freshman in high school, and I played a jack-in-the-box in a Christmas pageant of some cockamamie thing, and I had to be crouched in this plywood box for, it seemed forever, and then on cue, pop up. And all these children went, oh, oh, and I, that was it. <laughs> I was totally hooked from that moment on. And I spent the rest of my high school days doing everything that I could. And I didn't even want to go to college. I wanted to come to New York as soon as I graduated high school. But my parents insisted, so I did go. And I majored in speech and drama and then came to New York and that was it well thank God you did <laughs> yes well and thank you for coming down and having dinner with us oh thank you it was a delicious dinner yes well it's always a good meal at Orso 
Isn't she great? She's oh my gosh. So great. Yeah, she's she's a, fabulous. She's a grounded. Oh my gosh, yeah. I want her to I want her to uh, direct all the things. <laughs> oh, you have nice paper. Oh, it's you, resume paper. You have a really good. <laughs> no, you it's printed called, I, script on resume paper. Oh, don't think it's because I am so amazing. <laughs> I printed it on resume paper because I'm out of regular paper. Oh, so it's sort of laziness, really. It's laziness. It's ineptitude. It's failure. I wish I were a man. If I were a man, I would have had printer paper. I, I wouldn't mind I being a, a woman. <laughs> Truthfully. I'm completely kidding. Are you? <laughs> Are you kidding? No, not at all. Okay. No, I mean I'm not ready for reassignment surgery, but I. Gender's I, a construct. I, yeah. I, I definitely don't relate to men yeah. very well. I definitely don't. It's interesting. I actually have had two different experiences in the last 48 hours where women that I'm either close to or don't know have told me that I may not be part of the problem, but what am I doing to be part of the solution? Mm. Which is a really interesting thing for me to look at as someone who always has felt like, that I've always felt I was an ally, an advocate for women, a friend to women. I'm certainly not gonna sit idly by and watch someone get bullied or abused. And yet, what am I actively doing that puts me as part of the solution? Oh, my Lord. Well, I think the elephant in the restaurant, if you will. Um, and that's actually a pretty good <laughs> image. Uh, An amuse-bouche right. of elephants. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we should say there are no actual elephants There are no the elephants. No, and well no elephants healed. were harmed in the making of this podcast. Um, is the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to yeah. the Supreme Court, yeah. which I think has been, at least in my world, sort of front of mind, front of newspaper, Everyone's been talking about it. It's sort of been terrorizing the nation for the last week. And frankly, I think no matter where you stand on it, everyone can agree that, that it's, it was a horrible process and it's, it's, it represents a really dark moment for our politics. Again, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, I'm willing to bet that our listeners are probably skew left. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's one of a number of major sort of constitutional issues that are coming to the fore in this time. You know, you have a president who did not win the popular vote and a Senate that doesn't reflect, uh, a Senate majority that doesn't reflect the majority of voters, confirming a, a, a judge who does not have the support of the majority of the American people to the Supreme Court for a lifetime appointment. So it, it really just... Uh, has completely dominated my my mind, my psyche for the last couple weeks, and I, I felt like we couldn't talk about, we couldn't have this podcast without addressing it. No, I agree. I think it's I think it's uh, it's a dark time, and I I think this is the kind of conversations like this help. At least it helps me mm-hmm. filter through all of the emotions uh, that I'm having. Yeah, I I would never uh, be so bold as to speak for all women, but I can speak as a woman. And my my takeaway that night was one of calm. And you know, I was at Mean Girls, and there were a lot of tears in the cast that day. And I remember I ran out and got some lifesavers because I'm of the generation when that commercial happens. I like, hear have a lifesaver if something bad happens, and just sort of trying to lift everyone's spirits. Um, 
I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was a dark day. It's dark times. In my opinion, the, you know, Gorsuch seat, seat was a stolen seat. It absolutely you know, was. It was absolutely, absolutely. was. Um, and I think we've also reached a time, it's nice to say whether you're left or right, but we've reached a time where you really have to pick a side, you know, pick a side. Um, and that's and it's increasingly pro-democracy or anti-democracy, frankly, correct, from my perspective. Correct, <laughs> correct. And um, the silver lining, I think, in all of this, but uh, my point was I was very calm that night. There was a calm that kind of took over my whole being as a woman because I don't know if people really understand how strong women are. We've been through worse. We got this, boo. We got it. As we wrap up our delicious meal here at Orso, you may be wondering about this quintessential theater restaurant's background and history. Well, to understand Orso, first you have to meet Joe Allen, the 85-year-old man who owns and operates what the New York Times describes as a small restaurant empire on the townhouse, restaurant, and tree-lined strip of West 46th Street between 8th and 9th Avenues, the street affectionately known as Restaurant Row. Ever since then, New York Mayor John Lindsay made the moniker official in 1973. That empire consists of three restaurants. Orso, where we are right now, an Italian bistro. Bar Centrale, an unmarked private haunt for drinks and snacks. And Mr. Allen's signature restaurant, simply and aptly named Joe Allen. All located in a cluster of three adjoining brownstones that Mr. Allen owns and lives above. The empire, if you can call it that, <laughs> also once extended to include seven Joe Allen re restaurants in Los Angeles, Toronto, London, and Paris, as well as several Orsos. But like the man himself, there really is only one original Joe Allen and one Orso, and they both call Broadway home. An army vet who got his start working in the din of New York's famed P.J. Clark's during the fading but still glamorous noir days of the 1950s, Joe Allen opened his eponymous restaurant in 1965. Geography, an unfussy menu of well-prepared classic food, and a certain je ne sais quoi quickly made the restaurant a favorite of theater personalities, a fact that remains true to this day. Like so many restaurants in the theater district, Joe Allen and Orso were busiest both before and after curtain times for the 41 Broadway theaters and countless other stages they call neighbors. Patrons at both restaurants, and especially at Orso, are well advised to keep their eyes open for celebrity sightings, since the dining rooms are often speckled with actors, writers, directors, designers, producers, and other industry professionals, fresh from rehearsal or performance, or else hammering out a deal or planning a new production. As Jamie mentioned, we saw several folks here tonight. A comfortable, unpretentious, but buzzy atmosphere pervades these restaurants, enlivened by the creative energy of their diners and the ineffable spirit of theater history that suffuses the environment. At Joe Allen, the exposed brick walls are adorned with a famous gallery of window cards or posters from Broadway's most infamous flops. Shows like Carrie, the musical, Moose Murders, which closed on opening night, and Dude, Galt McDermott and Jerome Ragney's follow-up to Hair that ended up just being a dud. Part tongue-in-cheek, but also part tribute to the hard-working people behind them, the gallery of flops embodies the very idea of the fabulous invalid and the ever-transient nature of the theater business itself. While no theater professional would cop to wanting his or her show represented on the wall, there's also a perverse honor in joining the ranks of these ill-famed productions. 
You might still catch Mr. Allen sitting at his usual corner stool at the bar of his restaurant. Quiet and unassuming, though a ladies' man who once dated Cheetah Rivera in the 1970s, food is not Mr. Allen's personal forte. His son reports that he can't even boil water. But fortunately, the food at his restaurants is reliably top-notch. And that brings me back to Orso. Orso is the Italian word meaning bear, and is a common given name and surname in Italy. Mr. Allen opened this restaurant in 1983, and it was credited several years later with single-handedly revitalizing Restaurant Row with its superb selection of small pizzas and a mix of northern Italian pastas and entrees, all served with a humble lack of self-pretension that belies its starry clientele in a golden warm dining room as comfortable as they come. I have to say, Marsha had a pretty good-looking pizza tonight, and I had a dynamite spaghetti. Nora Efron once wrote, My idea of a perfect night is a good play and dinner at Orso. We here at The Fabulous Invalid vehemently agree. And so we invite you to dine with us at our usual table once a month and recommend you pay a visit to Orso yourself if you can. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.